Hello and welcome to the latest series of the Loosehead Podcast with me, Jeff Neville. This season of the podcast focuses entirely on the coaching side of the game, discussing topics like creating a positive environment, focusing on the process, overcoming ego, various aspects of player management and dealing with the wins and losses that comes with it. A different coach will join me every week to share their expertise and experience and this week I'm delighted to welcome Andrew Brown, who's the head coach at Galwegians after playing senior rugby for Connacht for 11 years. Andrew, thanks a million for taking the time to come on. How's life? Great, and thanks for having me on, Jeff. Um, it's always nice to be asked on to something like this and to chat about coaching. Um, life is good. Life is. Um, we'll, we'll be getting pretty busy in the next few weeks with with rugby getting back, with um, school getting back. I'm currently in the middle of a master's, so I'll be going into the, my second and final year of that. And uh, also have a baby on the way as well in the next couple of weeks. So um, I'm enjoying my di- downtime now, but it'll be getting pretty hectic now in the next couple of weeks. And how are you enjoying life as a head coach at the moment? It's good. I, I, I like it. It's very enjoyable. Um, one of the big things I kind of said to myself when I was finishing rugby, I, I kind of had enough of the play inside, but I still wanted to stay involved in a rugby environment. And coaching was just kind of a natural fit uh, around that. Um, so I still love being in with that, with the group of lads and, you know, having the crack and, um, and then also seeing, you know, people improve from the coaching side of things and, and that really having a principal hand in that. So, um, I really enjoy it. The minute it can be challenging, you know, like any coaching gig can be. And, and we know the ups and downs of, of AIL as well. And the fact that it's not professional and it's, it's amateur and people have busy lives and, and a lot of stuff going on off the pitch as well, you know. So that was a bit of a, a learning streak of trying to kind of get my hand around my head around that because it was always, I was always coming from a professional environment where you knew exactly how many players you were going to have training every day. And I'm sure coaches, you know, they, they have a session laid out and it usually runs to plan. But then, you know, when you're in the club game, you, you really don't know what numbers are going to turn up each night. Um, you know, so it's just about adjusting on the go. And I think that's been, it's been a learning curve, but it's actually been, it's a good thing as well to kind of cut my teeth in there a little bit. Well, today I'd like to chat to you about all those different aspects of coaching. And I guess. It might just be best to kick off at the start if you're happy to jump in straight away. Yeah, absolutely. So the first topic I'd like to discuss is coming into a struggling team. So you became head coach of Weegans after they suffered, I think it was three relegations in four years. Mm-hmm. So how did you go about beginning to change that team environment at the start? Um, and ex- that's exactly what it was. It was about focusing on the environment and how, like you said, three relegations in four years. and um you know it just wasn't a happy environment no one was enjoying it you know so that was the biggest thing we had to try and get back into it the main thing you really get or the main enjoyment you get out of rugby is winning games so it was about finding that balance as well of okay how do we how do we make this enjoyable but how do we actually get it really competitive that we're you know pushing each other in training and then we're being more challenging in games to to win you know so um, and it's difficult and it's still something we're working on now. There was, um, it was just about trying to develop some sort of a vision, which the club, I think, especially the senior team, I think was lacking at the time. Um, and about developing our values and then are working on our behaviors and, and then ultimately creating that culture. And I know these are all buzzwords, but they're actually so important when you come into a team that okay, what are the values underpinning everything and, and, and what are the players' behaviours like and are they living them, you know, on the pitch? And and even though it's club rugby and like I said, it's amateur, you still got to bed these things in, you know. So 
Uh, one of the biggest things at the very start was creating our values. And this came from the players. You know, so we sat down, we had a meeting and I facilitated it, but we kind of just let the players, got them into groups and uh, joined them up into larger groups and bounced different ideas. And we eventually got down to four values, you know, so that was kind of the foundation of everything. And then how could we, and enjoyment was actually one of those, which I was, I was happy to see. Um, and then how do we actually integrate them into our training and, and into matches and stuff like that? So, um, there was a bit of also when we went in, there was a bit of a transition from, I suppose, an older team or there was an older generation there going to a younger team. And some of these lads were finishing up. And as much as I kind of wanted them to stay at times and these lads were, unbelievable club stalwarts and, and stuff like that i think that change was needed as well to just bring in that little bit of youth and that bit of vibrancy as well and and just create a togetherness that was quite, was kind of lacking you know there were, because there was such a, a difference between some of the older lads and the younger lads they never really gelled but now the fact that some of the older lads had just moved on naturally and there was a younger team they could gel a bit more together, get them having a drink after a match, get them having the food after training, going on nights out together. And you're all just trying to facilitate that. And I think the more we can do that off the pitch, build that kind of stuff, I think that'll that'll pay dividends then when you actually get to games. And you mentioned it there a minute ago as well at the start. Like amateur players don't have a contractual obligation to go training. But with players missing training, you know, some of them might give you no reason at all. They might even give you a text, you know, that happens at club rugby. It's a, it's, it's a sad fact of life, but it does, you know, it happens mm. to me as well. But how did yeah. you go approach, or how did you approach going to change that? Um, that kind of came from a leadership group. So this was the only, one of the other things. There was always kind of talk of a leadership group in the year, the kind of year previous to that. And it was, it was pretty much the older lads, but this was about the whole team come together, nominating a couple of lads that they want in a leadership group and then getting a leadership group out of that. And then the leadership group came up with their own rules of how they wanted the players and the coaches actually just to, to behave and what they expected from everyone. And one of the things coming out of that was if you're not going to make training, just send in a text to the group saying, I can't make training tonight. Apologies. It's not asking for much. It'll take 20 seconds out of your day just to say you can't be training. Now, it's great and some people do it all the time but then others just don't do it and and again if they miss training again we were trying i'm trying not to interfere too much again if some fella misses training the odd time or a few times excuse me and he doesn't send in a text i'm just like come on why did you miss training here could you not just send in a text you know these are the behaviors we're just trying to instill in players and it's just good manners that's you know that's simple but ultimately i want the players driving that that okay, so-and-so missed training, could you get onto them? Or even if I don't even have to say anything, they just get onto them themselves to say, come on, why did you miss training? At least you could have done was put it into the group. So it's just trying to get the players to drive that side of things. Um, you will still have, though, like you said, you'll still have lads not texting in or, yeah, and just not showing up. These are the things, I think, it's just the reality of AIL rugby. As much as you want to create those behaviors, and hopefully, look, it'll change over time, and everyone will be texting in when they can't miss, when they can't make training. But ultimately, over time, you're just trying to build up to that. But I think it's just one of these things you're going to have with AIL. One of the best kind of leadership group ideas I've ever heard was um, it came from ladies football. A friend of mine playing ladies football, and she said that her team was broken up into little subgroups, let's say, or groups of players. And if someone couldn't make training, they would text that group of players to tell, let's say, the leader of that group they couldn't make training. And what she said was, 
players were a lot less willing to miss training because they had to explain themselves to their peers rather than just text a coach and say, look, can't make it without any reasoning. So yeah. they almost said like, you know, like if you text me, let's say, for example, you said, oh, I can't make training. I have to do X, Y, Z. I could text back and be like, look, man, I was busy as well today, but I'm still going training. Like, that's nonsense. And yeah. found that participation kind of upped a bit or upped a good bit because, you know, a player wasn't willing to just be kind of, kind of be that person to their peers, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose it comes down to accountability and stuff like that. And that was actually one of our values as well. And you're just trying to push that onto the lads. And, and that's actually a really good idea. Maybe lads won't be comfortable texting into the whole group with coaches in that group as well, saying when you can't miss training. Maybe it is a better idea to split them into mini teams, so to speak, and just have them text that mini team and explain the reasons why they can't make training. Um, and this was one of the other things that came from the players as well that, you know, within like, there was a lot of shite excuses coming out as well of why you can't make training and, um a college is obviously a big one in Galway you know we have a lot of college players and oftentimes when assignments are due in or exams are coming up you know they you won't see them at training for a, a couple of weeks and we said that was you know we, we weren't going to allow that there's like there's people in college you know in fourth year college who have you know multiple stuff in but they're still making training and it actually can be a nice release for lads to, to come training and forget about college for half an hour but we also Gave the example of UCC, UCD. These lads are all in one A. They're all in college, most likely. But they're all, you know, they're all making training, no doubt, because they're in one A. So why, why are we always missing training? You know, it, it just makes no sense. So that was one of the other things that came for the players, and it was really the players holding each other accountable, and and that was one of the biggest things we wanted from a leadership group. Um, so it's worked out so far. Um, obviously, there's still lads that that don't do these things. But I think there's more and more we can push it, the better it'll get. So you came from a professional environment where you would have worked with a number of different coaches over the years. Do you incorporate styles of coaching from previous coaches you've had or do you look to put your own stamp on things? No, I, I definitely incorporate from from the coaches I had I had previously. I think I think and I think that's what a lot of ex players do and, and that's what coaches do in general. I think I heard actually I was listening to a podcast on Sean Dyche yesterday, the, the Burnley coach, and I think he said the best coaches are the best teams, that they just, they, they take stuff from, from wherever they can get, you know, so um, I, I, I definitely do, and I, I suppose Pat would probably be the biggest influence around that, and just the fact that, you know, his values and, and the behaviours and stuff like that he instilled within us, and the culture that eventually developed within, within Connacht around that time, you're trying to implement that and that that's all off the field stuff as well i think that's probably the biggest influence on that you know so i try and take as much stuff from him as i can does it always translate over because again you're you're in a professional setup there um and again you're going down to ail and the skill level and all that is going to be different so can you play to the standard that you know a coach like pat or or eric or, or dan mcfarland or, or these coaches i played under can you play at that level from AIL? Now, that's probably part of my job is to upskill these lads, um, you know, so and, and just have that vision of how we want to play. Um, like even recently, I was looking at some of Bristol stuff and how they play, and I would love to be able to incorporate that stuff in as well to to the way regions will play this year. Um, whether I can do that or not, 
we'll, we'll wait and see. But I think the big challenge would be is just giving them this framework and then seeing how they can respond to it. A lot of it as well, though, is looking at the faculty you have around you. I mean, there's no point taking a game plan like Bristol's if you know at the end of the day you're not going to be able to incorporate everything. Why would you, you know, why would you try and force it upon a team when it's obviously not the best course of action, if you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And that's taking kind of the individuals into, you know, and, and their skill level and and the collective as well. Can they work together to play that kind of shape? Um, when you say they like this about wasting a season, this season could actually be great in that regard that, look, there's no pressure on. We have, you know, people are playing a provincial tournament pre-Christmas. They're playing a shortened AIL with no promotion relegation after Christmas. So the pressure's off, so to speak. So would it be a good season to try and integrate these things and really focus on that skill level to play at that higher level and integrate a shape that, you know, may take a, a bit more time to embed? You know, so it is a it's an opportunity this year to do that. It probably also offers players an opportunity to try and if something doesn't come off, if it fails, it's not that quite big a deal. Like, you know, viewing failure is an opportunity to learn and they can say to themselves afterwards, right, that's an area I need to upskill or I need to get better at my, I don't know, distribution off my left or whatever it is. It's probably a very good season to explore those kind of scenarios. Yeah, definitely. I think... Um and it, hopefully, I think players will see it two ways. It's, it's going to be an interesting season to see how players approach it. As it could be, oh, look, it's not competitive. You know, I always, I give the example, it's going to be a, a terrible night in January or February, but there's nothing on the line at the end of the season, like a promotion relegation. Why would I bother go training here? It's just so easy to send in a text or, or just not show up. Then other players might view it as, oh, look, you know, this there's no real huge amount of pressure on this year. I'll just go out, I'll enjoy myself, you know, hopefully, you know, it's a chance to upskill in areas that I've been, you know, poor previously um, and actually have that time to upskill as well. So it'll be interesting to see, interesting to see which way lads approach this season. I think it's fair to say that the experiences you had with poor coaches are just as important as the experience you have with good ones. Like I know I've experienced with both and it makes me think twice sometimes, but have you experienced situations as a player that now makes you think twice before you act as a coach? Um, definitely. It's just, see, this is all very individual. Again, it's like when I was a player, you know, you get feedback from coaches or say a coach screamed at you. Some players might react positively to that. Others might go into their shell. So I think it's just as a coach, it's about identifying the individual. What motivates them? What actually detracts from their performance? Now, that's a difficult thing to do, especially from you know an AIL, an amateur point of view, because you only see them Tuesday, Thursday. You see them on a match day, but it's very hard to really get to know these lads and just figure out what drives them, whereas it's easier in a professional setup because, look, that, that's your job. It's pretty much you have to kind of do it. So um, what a lot of the, my way of coaching was how I like to be coached. So that's the kind of the way you bring it in. Um, I try not to, uh, as much as you try to stay calm and composed and get your point across in a clear, concise manner. doesn't always end up like that. We're all human. We all have emotions. So, you know, I've often found myself losing the plot a little bit in training and, and in matches and stuff like that. So you 
what it is you go back though and i think is the biggest thing and you probably know this from teaching as well you go back and you reflect on it and it's huge now in coaching as well you go back and reflect on you know how what was your language like what were your what was your demeanor on the sideline like or within training and stuff like that so it is it's just balancing that then and figuring out and, and and putting your own stamp on it as well you have to be authentic when it comes to coaching you don't just want to copy the exact same style as someone else so it's it's a big learning curve it's a big you know it's it's time figuring out just what works for you and what works for your team and you're going to make mistakes along the way there's definitely no doubt about that but over time i think you will develop into the coach you want to be but that could take that could take years like you know it's this is all of I suppose a journey along that way and you may never get to to be the coach you actually you, you always envisage in your own mind being involved in the game as a player for so long you probably don't fall into the trap of overworking players and training as you know there's a point where it's too much like I think we all had that coach growing up where if he was in a bad mood like they just run you into the ground and then same again Thursday run you into the ground and you're just yeah. kind of like at the end of the day like this is not benefiting me like do you find sometimes it's difficult to want to take maybe the frustrations of the weekend out, but you find yourself just reeling back to to say, look, that's not actually benefiting anyone doing this? Yeah, I think that old school way of thinking about, oh, the lads played poorly on a Saturday, so I'm going to run the life of them out of on a, on a Tuesday. I think that's I think that's a long way behind us. And like you said, having had that experience of being a player, I think player welfare is always high up on my my priority list and. Are we working them too hard? Have they had a four-week long block of training that, okay, these lads need, they, they need a Tuesday. Say we don't have a match. They need that Tuesday and Thursday off or they need a Tuesday off and we will just train Thursday and then maybe have a match on a Saturday. So it's about figuring out that and you have to see that and it takes a bit of planning in advance. You're just like, okay, you can see lads are, are waning a little bit here they've lost their enthusiasm a little bit the numbers have you know started to consistently dwindle in training so um and you can see when lads definitely do need a break then but i think player welfare is, is definitely high up on you know my on my list of what's important so keeping that in mind i think with ail as well i think if you're just training tuesday thursday and playing a game on a saturday i do think it's very hard to overwork lads no matter no matter how much work you do in training um and again i'll i'll repeat that these lads i know they're not professional but you know if you're training an hour on a tuesday an hour on a thursday and playing a match on a saturday is that really going to be enough time on pitch to really fatigue lads i don't think it is no you still have to be smart within that um and usually trainings aren't all out you know there's obviously a lot of stop start there's a lot of explaining there's a lot of just team plays and stuff like that so we do try and keep training to a high intensity and you can see most every team is pretty much doing that now because it has to mimic the match um but you you know i think the old school ways of just going out and running them mindlessly i think that's well gone and i definitely wouldn't subscribe to that i find the idea of player management in the amateur game so incredible because like you said there you only see them two maybe three times a week but and it, it is you're right it is tough to overwork players in such a small space but on the other side of the coin, you might have a player who's just off a 12-hour shift or who's on nights mm. all week like or something like that. And I know you have a lot of students in Weegians as well, but, you know, in general, amateur teams, you do have this added situation of, look, I'm just off nights, I'm wrecked. 
you know you know you have to be mindful of these players as well at the same time yeah definitely that's a that's an excellent point actually um and then you can view it as one way of in this person's just off nights and that's where you don't mind that text coming in and going look i'm i'm just off nights i'm i'm not going to be able to make training tonight absolutely jesus we were all completely understandable as coaches then you might also see that player who's just off nights and he's coming in and he just wants to let loose and just sweat and you know start panting and just maybe release a little bit before they actually go home and have their rest so it is and then that's it but you don't some a lot of the time because you don't you do try and get to know the players as well but you're also relying on them to be honest with you and be just like oh look i'm a little bit tired tonight and like i said we completely understand that and be like that that's completely fine you know so um, I don't think, you know, players have to realize that, you know, they have, they can easily just come up to us and we're all very understanding and say, say these things, you know, so, and then we can adjust training, no problem around that. Um, but it is, I think that's a very good point. You just, it is these players off the pitch, they, you know, they have families, they have work commitments, they have college commitments. Um, there may be stuff going on in their, their lives that that's not good and they don't want to talk about it. Or if they do want to talk about it, you have to put that message out as the head coach or as any coach to be like a generic message to a group in a meeting. Lads, if anyone's not feeling great, because obviously we know mental health is such a huge issue now. If anyone's not feeling good, please, I'm like, you have my number or you want to come up to me anytime after training or before training. I'm all ears. Uh, you know, if you want to chat, I'm happy to do so. And so are all the coaches and so are your teammates. So it's about getting that message out as well and just making sure that giving that player, making players more comfortable to speak in case, you know, this, because like you said, there's stuff going on in their lives that we may not know anything about. Do you think compared to the club game 10 years ago, players are a lot more open and willing to talk to coaches about maybe what's going on in their lives than they would have been in the past? I think so. And, and I don't think it's, I think it's just to do with society in general. I think just the, how prevalent mental health issues now and the fact that we're encouraged to talk that if we are feeling something i think that's just that's just graduated over into rugby and into i'm sure all sports like the, you know footballers will go up hurlers will go up they can all easily just go up to coaches because it's just you're just encouraged more now to actually talk about it and and just how like just how prevalent it is that what we've seen over the course of the last 10 years so i think there's no different in rugby that i think players are now I'm not saying I get players coming up to me all the time. It'd be very, very rare that a player would come up and say, look, I'm struggling with this or that. But it's just giving them that avenue that if they are struggling, that we're here uh, if they if they want to talk. You know, so I think and I think that's I think that's society wide. You played with some coaches who were very happy to offer you the freedom of expression while on the pitch, like to kind of they gave you the autonomy to make a decision and to back yourself. Do you look to give that same autonomy to your players now? I think you do. I think that's the goal of every coach. Is it's it's the less we can, the less decision making we have to do on the sideline because we're not in there, we're not in that game or training wise. And the more responsibility we can hand over to the players, I think that's what you want as a coach. Again, it's 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 just difficult, you know. So um you like players to express themselves and you you love the thought of having a go from deep. Uh, and again, I harp back to Pat Lamb. You know, we we played everything. I mean, we played from five meters out from our own line. And 
and and just try to hold on to the ball as much as we can and go through our phase play. And I, I love the thought of that and transferring that over to AIL, but the realities of it, it's just a lot of the time we just can't do that. So um, I found myself a lot of the time this year that I have to give on the message of lads look for space in the backfield there are kicking options all over the place we don't need to hold on to this i know we want to play a ball and that's what i've encouraged but we also have to play what's on you know and a lot of time the kicking option is on so it's it's balancing it as well but it is ultimately that's the goal isn't it it's to give over that autonomy to the players make them make decisions because they're in the heat of it um, and again it's probably just a long process the more over time the more little bits you can start handing over then the more comfortable they will get and, and they'll take ownership of that in general. Is it difficult to install that ownership given that you might have a, ter- a large turnover in players, especially due to, as you said, you have students as well? Yeah, it is. And again, it's, yeah, like in a- every IL club, it is that turnover of players that could be tough. Like you have something in place and you, like, for example, last year, you know, we put new or kind of put new shape in place and, new terminology coming in and put my own stamp on it and spent a lot of time last year trying to get that in place this year you know i have it in my head that oh that should be fine because the majority of players are still there they'll pick that up fine but you really have to go back to the lad who's who's just coming in again and you have to explain it all to him you know so you could be kind of going over yourself again and you mightn't get the progression that or i mightn't get the progression that i've kind of foreseen so it's about dealing with that um and then i suppose you're relying a little bit on the lads that were there last year and the leaders in the squad who should all hopefully be there going forward as well that they will take ownership and they will speak to the the newer lads coming in to try and get around that shape because we go back to the tuesday and thursdays there's such short windows to get all that information in place and that you still want to keep training tempo really high you know, so you're kind of relying on these players and you're relying on a lot of stuff off the pitch, um, a lot of learning off the pitch to um, whether do we coach the player or player to player to get that message through. Um, but it's not easy because you're so restricted by time. Time is probably the most valuable commodity, especially, as you said, Tuesday, Thursday, that's it. Like, I suppose it comes back to the idea of environment you chatted about earlier. If you've guys taking these new guys under the wing and saying, look, this is what we do here. This is the situation here. Those sessions in on a Tuesday and Thursday, they're not only more efficient because people know what they're doing, but they're also probably more enjoyable because it's going to be positive feedback coming from doing those simple things. Well, Mm. I think efficiency is such a good word there around it that the less time I can, I can take explaining something um, and the more familiar lads will get with the drill that we can just be like okay oh yeah same drill as last week we crack straight into it i mean you're saving a minute a minute 30 seconds there and if you're saving that over you know in every drill you do you're actually maximizing your time then and being as efficient as possible in training um but that again that comes down to lads who are going to be there consistently because if lads aren't there consistently lad is turning up one week he misses a week then he's coming back in you could have moved on you know, in that time, and then you have to go back and try and explain that to him, or else the drill doesn't run effectively because there's people who don't know what they're doing in it. While other players will probably get frustrated with that, and then that comes back to what we talked about and developing that, that culture where lads are holding themselves accountable. That you know, we need to be at training consistently if we're going to be competitive. Um, and I think you need decent numbers as well. I mean, 
you know, I think Christmas time is, I don't know if you've experienced this, Christmas time was always a time where we struggled because... Oh, Jan- so- those cold January days. Oh, yeah, but um, yeah, exactly. And even before that, it's kind of gearing up because there's Christmas parties going on, there's, there's this or that around Christmas, there's friends back home, you know, so you see numbers dwindling in December and then January february like it's nearly march by the time you nearly have your full complement back again and that can be those months are very very difficult to kind of get that consistency in so um i think it's trying to just keep that up this year but it's a battle every year you're kind of like oh no we'll really focus on that but again you'll just have lads who who just won't show up the consistency and train and then you also want ideally you know you want your 15 on 15 in training because you can play, you know, you can do transition, you can do games, but you can just keep the tempo so high around your exits and your attack play and your defense, like your defense against a full team. Um, I find then when, say, you go down to 25, you might even go down to 20. That's when it's very hard to get proper work done because, okay, you'll have your 15 lads who are consistently there, the lads who, who start in week in, week out, but then you may only have five or 10 lads who are just kind of running opposition they get frustrated because they're just standing there and they can't really do anything. The lads are running through them. So that's the difficult thing. But if you can kind of keep those numbers high around 15 on 15, that's when you see the real progress. And that's what I found last year. That's when we were really competitive in games. The numbers point is actually a brilliant point because it's something I wanted to ask you about. When it comes to recruitment for an amateur team, like, you know, we've all heard coaches say, oh, you know grab hold of a mate that just doesn't mm. happen you know like you don't actually go home and text your friends and say oh do you fancy no. it doesn't happen so no. how do you go about getting those numbers in an amateur team it is it's pretty much may april may june is a big month for recruitment you're making a lot of phone calls um i know every team is the exact same on this uh, and it can be it can be daunting after a while and you you nearly have to gear yourself up to make these phone calls and, and then you take like two or three days away from it because they're kind of they're exhausting at times you know and you, last thing you want to be doing is cold calling people just be like oh how are you you know would you would you fancy joining Galwegians or whatever team you know so but it is that it, it, there's a lot of that and um you know you're trying to get lads up from junior rugby because you know you see these lads who are, who are probably far too good for junior rugby so be like trying to play at a higher level but again there's so much competition out there between the clubs, you know, and, and this is even just in Galway City or in, and the province, you have like Bucks and Corinthians and, and us. I mean, I don't even know how could like even in Limerick, Cork, Dublin, like it's it's ultra competitive when you have so many teams vying for a small pool of players, you know, so um, and then you're just trying to sell the club in whatever way. Um, unfortunately, with three relegations in four years um, where we weren't the most attractive prospect, um, I think we have a good coaching set up in place. You try and really sell that. You try and sell our location within Galway City, although the club has seen better days. It's it's well dated now at this stage, but you're trying, trying to sell that location right, kind of right there in the center of this or nearly just outside the center of the city. Um, and that, and that's that's what you're doing. And you're making those phone calls over and you're saying the same jargon. And, and I'm sure lads can see through it a lot of the time, but you're just, you're trying to sell the club in any which way you can. Do you approach schools or colleges or anything? Um, colleges, yes. You well, you'd approach. Um, I mean, I'm, last year I know we had a kind of recruitment day in college. We just set up a stand just outside the college, actually, because we weren't allowed in. Just handing out flyers. Um, and you, like you said, you're just at that stage. You're just trying to get anyone in and and seeing what kind of talent comes through the gate. 
Um, you know, it's rare that you'd be very lucky that some fella will just walk through the gate um, off his own accord and he'll be a great player and will fit right in. We've had a few of them. We, we had a few last year, but like I said, it's rare enough. Um, schools, um, not so much. Um, again, you just have to be careful about approaching schools. And oftentimes when it's May and it's June, these lads are in the middle of the leave insert. Um, you know, so you don't want to disturb those lads too much if you're, if you're, you know, if you're approaching secondary schools. So it's a bit of a balancing act in that way. Um, but you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult process. I, I will. And that was, that has been one of the other things I've, that's been an eye opener for me just how many phone calls you have to make and what goes into the recruitment side of things facilities wise i know you mentioned it, uh Weegans is getting a bit dated at the moment but how <laughs> did was, you <laughs> it was it was dated back in 1970 yeah, yeah. i know the place well but <laughs> yeah. facilities wise was it a big shock to you coming from let's say the Connacht confines to come down to the AIL or are there any parallels between the two that uh you work with uh, it wasn't a shock just because I was familiar with it, but it is, it's, it's chalk and cheese a lot, a lot of the time. Um, you know, Connacht, you had the sports ground there, you had that incredible gym on site. Um, uh, but then you're going down and I mean, we're actually quite lucky in regions. I guess it's an old, it's, a, it's an old setup. It's an old house there and old change rooms, but we've actually got a really good gym. And Jarlett Nocton, who's actually an assistant coach with me. Um, he, he's also an SNC coach, but he's, he's developed a great gym there and that's great facility because not every club has a gym. Um, so that's obviously one of the selling points as well, but, um, there is, it's just night and day nearly between what you get from a professional setup and what you're experiencing in AIL for the most part. Now you could go to some places, um, and they'll have fantastic facilities. Um, but again, they're. They're few and far between, um, and, and I can only comment on the two B teams. Um, you know, I, I'm sure you know Lansdowne probably have a good spot. Um, I haven't played up in Belvoir in a long time, or or the one A and one B teams. You know, so I'm sure there are some good facilities out there, but for the most part, from what I've seen, you know, they're they're fine facilities, and and it's exactly what you expect from AAL. But you just have that step above, and or the step above again, even when you're when you're talking about professional rugby teams. Coming back to the coaching side of things, how important is it to be able to say, I don't know to players? Um, oh, that's, that's a good one. You probably don't say it as often as is probably true because you don't, as a coach, they're looking at you. They probably expect the answer off you. And as a coach, you probably want to give them the answer. And you, you probably don't want to put yourself in that vulnerable situation where you're like, I don't know. But there's oftentimes you don't know. And and it's better to say you don't know than coming out with some with with bullshit because again lads are smart no matter no no matter if they're you know experienced rugby players or they're you know rugby players coming in most lads can see through bullshit so I I probably I'd say I probably don't say it as much as I should where, where you're just honest with yourself and honest with the team and just go I don't know um, and it's probably something again you could reflect on a little bit more and find those opportunities where you're probably willing to expose yourself a little bit and say it. The players would respect it. I, you'd hope they'd respect it. I, d I genuinely don't think there's anything wrong with saying, I don't know, but I will find out for you. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's, and again, players will respect that and be like, okay, that's fair enough. He's going to go off and, and research something, whatever it may be, and he'll come back with the answer first. But yeah, I think that's a really good way of looking at it. Coming in to lead a struggling team, did you find yourself struggling at times? Yeah, again, you struggle with um, 
again, because recruitment was difficult off the back of those those uh, three relegations in four years. So you struggle with the thought of okay, how you know how competitive were you going to be this year? You know, our, our player pool is quite small. Um, are we going to struggle? Will we have the players to compete? Can we field two teams? Which is another difficult one because um, I'm sure a lot of other AIL teams are like this, where our seconds and our first train together. Um, so and and oftentimes they play on a Saturday and they play on a Sunday. I mean that's a difficult one as well, where you're asking lads to maybe sit in the bench on a Saturday and then go play on a Sunday. That's their weekend gone as well. So I I struggle around that side of things as well, and even just asking players will they do that because. It seems unfair at times that you're just asking these lads to give up their whole weekend. Um, and, and there's so much other stuff that, you, you know, you struggle with. You just struggle taking the reins that, okay, you're the main one up there now in front of a group of players chatting in front of a meeting. You have, you're the one that's the main voice in the team reviews. Um, you're the main one, you know, with the whistle. You know, it's all this. It's, it's a new kind of spotlight on you that, yes, I was in a professional setup for 11 years, but I was never one to be um the loudest person in that you know or in in the dressing room or you know given my opinion in every single meeting i was just more just kind of sat back and if i had something to say i'd say it but i wouldn't talk for the sake of it um but now it's like everyone's looking for you as the head coach of even an ail team you're you're the voice that everyone's looking to and you're the one that should be providing those answers. So that's why it's difficult to sometimes to say, look, I don't know sometimes. Um, so there's a lot of challenges and a lot of um, a lot of learning that has come in the past two years anyway. And I'm sure there'll be plenty more with it. When you entered the club as well, did you out, did you lay out aims and ambitions that you had for the team? Um, not so much because I think that will, I think what it was and a lot of teams okay we went down down to we went from 1a down to 2b and okay there was people in the club be like okay we should bounce straight back up to 2a and i knew just realistically that wasn't the case because i knew you know recruitment was going to be tough and i if my one was just stop the rot that was my biggest ambition but i never i'd never verbalized that to the lads at the time so i wouldn't verbalize that last year um but the biggest focus was just around the values and the behaviors that we didn't actually concentrate too much on the goals for the season because we just wanted to we didn't want to overload the lads with information either i thought if we were doing goals and behaviors and values and, and developing this culture that we talk about i think that would just be too much it'd be overkill a little bit so um the values was the big one last year and and implementing them or coming up with them and, and implementing them I think as we move forward now, we could probably come up with a goal. We'd have a goal-setting meeting this year and our aims for the year. Um, and it's just piece by piece, just trying to build that a little bit without without giving them too much to think about. It's interesting you say that, or you put it in that kind of way, like without giving them too much to think about. Because I was listening to a podcast with Steve Hansen, and he said that they used to just focus on the process. Mm. They wouldn't worry about the score or they wouldn't worry about the outcome. They would just focus on the process. And if that went right, then everything else would come with it. Yeah. I mean, it's this kind of next job mentality, isn't it? That, you know, you just, you're, you're playing in the moment. Uh, you're training in the moment. Don't worry about anything else. Um, and, and going off topic a little bit, that's very much what I learned from my brother who would be kind of big into that. It's also all about staying in the moment, concentrating on every breath or every rep or whatever they may be doing. And you can do, you can transfer that back over to rugby. And I know, 
Pat was very much process driven as well. And I know it can be nearly like it's it's jargon at this stage. Oh yeah, trust the process. And I know it's big in NFL and uh, and you hear it everywhere now, but it's actually so true. Like the reason it is everywhere is because a lot of people swear by it and, and it does work that just don't over like stay in the moment, even within games, or if something happens, you can see the try, get under the post someone speak or one of your leaders speak or you you see a lot of people now taking that breath and i know it's i see the crusaders doing it in super rugby that they just take one breath or two breaths and they nearly reset themselves and then someone we go okay what's next next is restart long left short right whatever it may be and then we're back into it again so it's just staying in that moment trusting that process not getting too far ahead of yourself because as like you mentioned there if you can take care of all those little, little pieces, then it'll just create that big one. Do you ever chat to your brother about things like that? Oh, yeah. He'd be like, he uh, picking his brain the whole time about that. Um, and it's, I, cause I, I saw it firsthand. I trained with him when I, when I finished, I trained with him because he was, he was preparing to climb, I think it was Denali or Aconcagua, one of the, one of the seven summits. And we do, I think it was six sessions a week, five or six sessions a week, but like the ones that would really get me. And the ones I always think when you're like, trust the process and trust your breath is going back to the row machine. He loved the row machine and, and you'd just be on it. And he'd always be kind of in your ear and I'd be blowing, like I'd be just be in, in my head. I'm thinking, get me off this thing, get me off this thing. But he'd always be kind of bringing my, my mind back to okay, concentrating the breath, concentrating the next stroke you know, stay in the moment. Um, and it, it's very difficult to do, especially when you're fatigued like that. But the more you can do it, the more you can put yourself in those situations, then the better you'll get at it and the more comfortable it'll become or you'll get comfortable being uncomfortable. So that's why you try and bring it back to rugby. That's why you try and keep tempo really high. That even in preseason, for example, you do a, a fitness game or you do a block of fitness and then you'd go into a skills block, pretty low intensity, just passing but they're blowing and the heart rate is up and everything's much more difficult when, when that happened and you're just trying to get them, how, how are they reacting to skills under fatigue now? Um, so it's just, it's how like, I think I do chat to Damo quite bad. And then it's always like, how do I relate that back to rugby? How can I integrate that some way in training and how can it benefit the lads more importantly? I love that idea because I like any team I coach, I'll hammer good habits into them regardless of how simple that habit may be it might be tackle technique or it might be an offload mm. but like i like to hammer that into them and it was actually only last year i was asked for the first time why we i was concentrated on it so much and i said because when you're under pressure you revert to habits and if you have a good habit there's going to be a good outcome mm. and that idea of just controlling that when you can so that when that pressure comes in you are reverting back to that good habit yeah. I think is hugely important. Yeah, exactly. And it, and it's encouraging and rewarding those good habits in in training and on the video and stuff like that. Um, it's, again, something, you know, with the, the webinars that were happening during the lockdown, um, what was happening in Connacht. So we got ones from Jimmy Duffy, forwards coaching Connacht, um, Nigel Carlin, Andy Friend, Pete Wilkins. But Pete Wilkins is is often, he talks about just rewarding or the good behaviors that they that they hammer home all the time and they repeat all the time. But then it's rewarding lads who show these good behaviors in training and in matches by just putting it up on the video. So something from a match 
something simple as I don't know your a body position when you're just after rocking out your body position over the man so you can't get counter rocked. I mean, something that you know the average punter wouldn't even realize or wouldn't even pay much heed to. But these good behaviors that lads are doing in training is transferring to matches and then showing it in the video um, for everyone to see, for that person who did it to get praised, but for everyone else to see, because everyone wants to be praised, that they'd be like, okay, I, I want to be on the video now. And I think that's something you try and bring over as well, that if you can start developing these good habits and then rewarding lads for the good habits by actually showing it, giving a video of it, I think that can be a powerful tool as well. Absolutely. I love... um in our video sessions, I love showing players just getting off the ground quickly and then maybe they're involved straight away again. And yeah. you just kind of pause and you say, look how quick that player got off the ground. Look how brilliant that is. Yeah. And I think my favorite part about something as simple as that is like getting off the ground requires no talent at all. It's just a case of standing up and getting on with it. That's it. I mean, it's the, I think the old Warren Gatlin, Pat Lamb used to use in Connacht, be the, be the best at the stuff that doesn't require talent. I think they have it. They call it NTRs in Connacht now. The the no talent required, you know, the, the simple stuff like getting up, bouncing up off the ground after you make a tackle, or that you're back in the game and that you're effective and you can actually do something else again. I think, yeah, I I I'd show the odd bit of that as well. Probably don't show enough as I should, but I think that's something I can we can all concentrate as well going forward into this year. The last subject I'd like to broach with you is your own mental health coming into kind of a head coach role, and I know you were in the head coach role last year as well, but. I mean, you, you know, it's, it is still only your second year kind of as a head coach role. Mm. How did you deal with the pressure of everything? Um, do you know what? Um, I, 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 love, I love the topic of mental health as well. And, and I, look, I wouldn't be a huge, oh, like I wouldn't be an advocate or, or anything like that. But I just think keeping yourself mentally and physically healthy, I think they, for me, they go hand in hand. And I, again, I chat to Damo around this as well. I think that if you're physically healthy, I think that it goes a long way to be mentally healthy. Um, no, I know that's not for everyone. I'm talking about my own example here. So, um, I train most days. I train about five days a week, uh, mornings. Um, so different strategies that I try and put in place. I'd go, it depends on time of year. I'd try and go for a sea swim maybe twice a week. Again, just getting into the water. I mean, it's it's so powerful just getting into water where no matter where you are we're in the west of ireland here so we're very lucky but just dipping your head in in the seawater um so it's different putting different strategies in place and that really helps with everything um because i was busy last year with the masters and you know i had a lot to do in that and then i had rugby on on top of it you know so i, I was kept going but i never felt that i was overwhelmed at at any point and and i think that is just down to just me being I don't know, fit or mentally and physically fit. Um, now, there's absolutely no science behind it, but that's that's exactly what I think that's what works for me. Um, I eat healthily. I think if I, I've often found I, I, I don't drink, I wouldn't be a big drinker. Um, I would drink, but I wouldn't drink that often. Um, so I think if you're just leading a, a kind of relatively healthy lifestyle, I think that that, that that it just has to help your your mental health. You're not in that kind of... Uh, it, I know depression, I know not depression, but you're not in a depression. Um, you know, so that, and then we, and then I, I've never actually thought of Weijans being pressure filled, which is, I, I, I've never looked at it that way, you know, so I've just enjoyed it. And like I, I, I touched on at the very start, 
I'd just be enjoy being in that rugby environment and around lads and getting out of the house and especially now when we came back training a couple of weeks ago you're integrating with lads that you hadn't seen in ages and just chatting and just going how are you and what have you been up to and stuff like that and um yeah that's that's how i view it more than anything i just like getting out of the house in the evening and even if it's a terrible january night that you can go up there and maybe forget about other parts of you know stuff that may be stressful in life i think it's a good release was it difficult to delegate jobs at the beginning or were you comfortable with it straight away? Do you know what? I was pretty comfortable with it because I had, I had Tiernan come in. Tiernan Holland is, is backs coach with me. Um, and to have someone who's still in a professional rugby setup that he can come in and, you know, give me a few pointers or not even pointers, but you know, this is what is the big thing at the minute. So there could be something around breakdown or something's still in the system because what I did found is when you're out of the system, like the game moves on so quickly that you could get left behind if you're not continuously upskilling. So to have him there, I was quite happy to kind of throw the backs over to him, obviously, but kind of give him the attack reins as well. Um, likewise with Jan Ochten, who, who's been brilliant. I mean, I couldn't do this job without him. He's uh, He does a lot of work around the, the values and the behavior side. He's the strength and conditioner. So he has gym programs for everybody. But he's also a, a, an excellent rugby coach as well. So he looks after the breakdown and he looks after the scrum. You know, so all I have to do or worry about then, I kind of take around and look after the defense and the line outside of things. And then after that, we pretty much have all bases covered. So I was quite happy to hand over the reins to those lads in their specific areas. Uh, and I think it's a good team. I think we work really well together. Um, it'd be nice actually this year, especially with the year that's in it, it'd be nice to mix it up because... I don't want to just be doing defence the whole time. I'd love to do a bit of attack. Ja would like to do a bit of line-out. Tiernan could do the defence. So we may look at that again this year and, and give lads autonomy over that area. And, and, and it's a good way as well because if they have... if I, I'm quite happy that if the defence isn't going well like it wasn't like it wasn't at times and I'm in charge of the defence, I'm quite happy for Tiernan or Ja to say to me, what's going on there? That's your area. You need to get that better. And, and that's fine. We all hold each other accountable as coaches as well. Does the score at the weekend ever impact your week? Yeah, <laughs> I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be lying if I said it didn't. Um, I don't like losing. I, no one likes losing. Um, you know, so um, I could get. I, I'm sure Emma would tell you when I got home, I could be very grumpy, and um, I then spend the Sunday looking at the match and stuff like that. And I was very much like that as a player as well, or early on in my playing career. Um, do you know you would? Because you have the match right there straight away, or even that night, you you play a match on a Friday night. You'd watch it in bed because you can't sleep after a match. You'd watch it in bed that night as well, and you, you would you'd take things to heart. And if you didn't play well, then you'd be in a grumpy mood for until Tuesday or Wednesday or the following week. I find it's the same with coaching, but then I find on the flip side of that, I find the wins, I find them extremely satisfying, nearly more satisfying than when I was playing, which is which is funny, you know. So. Because you're the head coach. I mean, you're, it's your, ultimately, it's your game plan and it's how you set the team up. And, you know, there's, there's a huge amount of satisfaction when you go out and play well then. And, uh, and on the reverse side of that, you can be, you can question yourself quite often as well when things don't go well. And, um, where we, where we, did we train well during the week or could I have given a message on earlier? All that goes through your head. So 
I find my friend myself reflecting whether it be good or bad, but it, it can have a negative impact the losses. Which would you find more satisfying? Getting the win, which I know is like, you know, rugby's a results game and that's not lost on me, but getting the win or something coming off that you've worked on over and over again, like be it the breakdowns finally coming to fruition or maybe the line out is functioning unbelievably well. Uh, it's still getting the win. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I Cause I had, I mean, and that's just an example this year. Um, we played Corinthians. Um, it was pretty early in the season. I think it was the second game in AIL. And I, I came up with this move. Now, do you think this is because it was Corinthians at the same time? <laughs> yeah, well, that could be it. Is, that could very well be it. And JP is actually a really good friend of mine as well. But I came up with a move around the front of the line out and it came off perfectly and we scored a try. We were five meters out, a little peel around the front. And I was like, Jesus, a lot of satisfaction. But ultimately we went and we, we lost. Um, they beat us by 10 or 15 points in the end. And I was extremely grumpy after it and disappointed um you know even the fact by the fact even regardless of that try working around the front so at the end it's all about the result you know so um and it's funny like it's funny pat pat lamb used to say do you which which you do you hate losing or do you love winning and i thought i always look back on that and i just i can't stand losing i mean the lows from losing would be bigger than the highs from winning for me um and that's i always think back at that so i just i just i think it's more I, I just don't like losing rather than i love winning um i always i've always find that interesting because people are different people just love the high of winning and then they mightn't be too yeah not they, they're obviously not going to like losing but they wouldn't it wouldn't um it wouldn't hurt them as much so i think it's, i think it's a funny one and everyone's different and there's no wrong answer in it either so i i, I always think back at that what I find is when you lose a game and like I'm talking about me here, like when I lose a game, let's say, for example, I have people coming up to me saying you could have done this, could have done that, could have done the other. But on the flip side, when we win a game, I'll have people come up to me saying, oh, well, they got a point. How do you block out that kind of negative talk? Yeah, if I'm honest, I don't actually get too much of that. Just hearing that now, I, I consider myself lucky um, because I don't know how I'd react to that. Um, and especially like I just talked about, if you're in a bad mood after games and I love, you know, and, you know, a difficult loss and then someone coming up and saying that, and I know it, it can be part and parcel of it. And um, especially professional rugby where, you know, I mean, coaches would be, would or fans would go up to coaches all the time and they'll go and just blab out their thoughts without actually thinking and how it can affect that coach and, and know that they're hurting just as much as the fan themselves. But um, I'm lucky that I don't get that. And I, and I really, I don't know how I'd react. And I don't think I'd react in a good way, you know. Um, yeah, I'd have to bite my tongue quite hard on that if it did happen to me. But I, I'm lucky that I don't get too much of it um, because maybe it's, it's the nature of the club at the minute because we had those relegations and we were in a pretty low place. When we had wins last year, uh, I think we had five wins and six losses when the, the season was cut short. Um, when we had those wins, I think everyone was so supportive because we just hadn't experienced um, you know, that or consecutive wins in, in quite a long time. So there was a lot of goodwill. Whether that will hold on into this year, I hope it does. Um, um, but yeah, I, I really can't say how I would react if, if I was faced with that scenario that you mentioned. The last question I'll ask you is one I like to ask every coach that I that I chat to, and it's 
what advice would you give to young coaches starting out? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, I think uh, it, it's such, I think reflecting, and, and I'm nearly sick of saying this word as well this year because I'm obviously doing the masters and we're told to reflect, reflect, reflect on everything. But it actually, it's a really powerful tool that if you can honestly reflect as well, honestly reflect on you know, your performance as a coach and the team's performance as a whole. And did you get your message across? Um, and even like, what was your demeanor like on, uh, on the sidelines, stuff like that. And it nearly, and get someone to watch it and give you someone you, that will give you honest, constructive feedback. I think that's always, that's good. And I probably need to do more of that myself. Um, put yourself, put yourself out there. One of my, one of my regrets when I was leaving or when I was finishing up a conic that I didn't, um, I didn't do more analysis. And this was, this was primarily talking about the year I was injured that, you know, I had a lot of free time. Um, you know, I, I could have been looking at teams in advance as well and maybe helping out the coaches or maybe helping out the players and doing more, especially if coaching was, was an avenue I knew at that stage that I wanted to go down. So I should have probably done more. So, um, you know, if you can kind of do more of that or look at the game from a coaching eye rather than, you know, if you're playing at the minute, just looking at looking at yourself playing. So, and, and uh, well, analyze games on TV, analyze games that you have on your computer more. Um, and then, you know, put yourselves out there, um, ask, can you go in and watch training with, you know, maybe a province, uh, a club, whatever it may be, and and other sports as well. You know, the more I the more I see from the really top coaches now, they're getting outside of the rugby environment, and they're even going into businesses and and other sports and seeing how leadership um, is driven around that and what little aspects of those places they can bring back into their rugby environment. Um, again, something I need to do more of. Um, but I think doing all those things, I think they can really round you out as a coach and you're just bringing new ideas in and, and new ways of looking at things i think you can um i think you can develop uh quickly there well andrew i'd like to say a massive thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast for being so open and i dare say the word but being so reflective as well um, <laughs> i really i really appreciate it no not at all and look thanks for having me on jeff i, I appreciate the chat and it was great uh, great to talk to you and best of luck with the upcoming rugby with the end of the Masters and especially with the new arrival coming soon. And I hope it all goes well for you. Cheers. Thanks. And, and same to you as well. Best of luck this year. Thanks very much. Well, that's it for me today, folks. If you'd like to hear more of the Loosehead podcast, you can catch it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get yours. If you enjoyed it, please feel free to follow, review and rate and check back in with next week's episode. Thanks a million.